Welcome back to The Shorter, a podcast on The Shorter Catechism where two pastors take 20-something minutes to confess their way through the 107 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm your host, Tommy Park, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Spinnenweber. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back. Uh, today, we are, it's hard to believe, Tommy, we are wrapping it up. I mean, we are nearing the finish line of season one of said podcast. It's, it's going to be an intense ending. Has it felt like a sprint for you or more like a marathon? Like a 15K. 15,000 miles? No, 15 k- kilometers. Wow. So it's 9.3 miles. Do you run the Ks? Like 3Ks, 5Ks? No, but I want to. But I probably won't. I would just use a scooter. It's easier. Um, I don't want to go. Everybody goes through all the trouble. So today we're sitting down and we are wrapping it up with uh, the benefits of the Christian life and, and how they, they come to Christians and, and what this, all this really beautiful theology that we've gone through, what effect, what benefit it has on the Christian life. And so I'm going to read question 36 to start our time. What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. Tommy, how do you want to get us rolling today? Well, first, I just want us to think through, like you were saying, you know, we've kind of done this jog or this marathon or whatever it is i don't it's not a sprint it's a yog it's It's a soft j yeah but i you know i've really enjoyed our discussions as we go over the shorter catechism the past couple months Uh, and it's reminded me how much what we believe is actually connected to our actual lives you know who god is uh, who we are and in particular this today as we look at this um, you know, it really gets down to how practical theology is. Um, and often people will say, and sometimes I might even feel this, is that we think theology is distant, abstract, or even confusing. Um, Just heady stuff. Yeah. But here, again, the confession really goes practical. We interviewed a couple of weeks ago a guy named Randall uh, Greenwall, pastor of a new book called Something Worth Living For. In there, in his book, he says this. He says, Theology is not abstract, but reveals for us the promises of assurance and peace, of joy and of grace and perseverance. All good gifts God is flowing from our union through justification, adoption, and sanctification. And so, for us to make it through life, we need to be reminded of that these things are true. Uh, you know, they will help us sleep better at night. So, no ambient, just just the theology. Just the, yeah, just the good old shorter catechism. That's right. So today what we're going to do is we're going to let the shorter catechism question really be our guide. We're going to take it clause uh, by clause. And so question 36, the first benefit is that it assures us of God's love. It assures us of God's love. Tommy, why do we lack assurance, do you think, well, typically? I think, yeah, I think typically we think assurance comes from our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings. And I think here the short chasm reminding us that true assurance, real assurance actually comes from God. Hmm. Don't they use, I think it's either in the 
larger catechism or the confession where they say that the Christian has an infallible ground of assurance. And we think, man, infallible assurance, like, you know, assurance that won't fail, it won't fluctuate or anything like that. Well, how do I get that? And it's often because people ground their assurance, as you said, in things that fluctuate. They, the foundation of their assurance is how I feel at that moment. It's based on emotions or my perceptions of self or God, when in reality, it's infallible because if your assurance is grounded upon the proper object, which is Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, it is infallible. And, and we don't have to sort of vacillate between belief, unbelief, doubt, and you know faith. We can really hold firm there and know that God loves us. Well, and there's a couple things that hang on it. One is that reality that you just stated, but also the reality, I think, in God's wisdom, he knew we would doubt from time to time. Uh, and so, throughout the Bible, there are passages like First John 5.13, where it says, These things I have written to you uh, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might know that you have eternal life, and that by that you may continue to believe in the name of of the Son of God. And, and there's other passages, but there's just that constant reminder of that Jesus, because of what he has done for us, kind of assures us of salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an apt summary of that whole book of First John. People were seeing false teachers fall away. They looked like Christians, and how can I be assured that I'm a Christian? I'm writing this book to you so that you may know, so that you may be assured you have eternal life, because you believe in Christ. Yeah, another passage, I mean, it's the good shepherd in John 10, Mm -hmm. you know, that my sheep hear my voice, they know me, they follow me. And in verse 29, my father who gives, who has given, given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the the father's hand. Mm -hmm. I and the father are one. So just that, that strong connection that because of our justification, because God and through Jesus has worked out our justification, our adoption and sanctification, that we can be assured that he loves us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First John 2, 1 through uh, 2, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite assurances of pardon in all of Scripture. Little children. Yeah. The fact that John's addressing these Christians who are doubting their sonship in Christ. Little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous. So, Scripture just time and time again is anticipating that God's people are going to doubt, but keeps reassuring us through these promises of God's unending love that once we are in Christ, we'll forever be with him and forever in Christ. So, we've also got another benefit. So, that is assurance of God's love. We've also got peace of conscience. Now, peace of conscience, I want to bring in the larger catechism at this point, because question 83 is especially rich. It's basically... Well, the question goes this way. What is the communion and glory with Christ, uh, which the members of the visible church or the invisible church, excuse me, enjoy in this life? So it's basically our question, what benefits do believers enjoy in Christ in this life? And it kind of shows us the opposite side of the coin and says not just positively the benefits that are ours, but what we are freed from. And it says, on the contrary, a sense of God's revenging wrath, horror of conscience, and a fearful expectation of judgment, which are to the uh, wicked the beginning of their torments, which they shall endure after death. So, among the benefits are that we don't have this horror of conscience. We don't have this 
fear of God's revenging wrath because God's wrath has been poured out completely upon Christ. So that guilty conscience that we feel um, is taken away because perfect love casts out fear. We don't have fear of God's judgment anymore because we're, we're, we're vindicated, right? Yeah. Declared us right. And, and again, you know, he has done, you know, just, just think through his life, his death, him coming to earth, all those things have happened to justify us. And since we have been justified, since we've been adopted, since he is sanctifying us and has sanctified us, that we can have peace in our conscience. Uh, the, and the reality is that, you know, again, we can go on, but we'll keep it short, but just this, this already but not yet reality that we were kind of touring through is that all those things are true and we feel those things, but at the same time we do feel that ongoing shame and guilt and whispers in the back of our head. And the Bible over and over again wants to assure us that there is peace, peace with, with God um, because what he has done for us on the cross particularly. Yeah. No condemnation now I dread Jesus and all in him is mine. What's the name of that hymn? Is it Amazing Love or something? It's a Westminster favorite. Yeah, yeah. People show up for that song. Um, so we got peace of conscience, which comes from being acquitted. Uh, we know that our our sin are laid upon our, our sins are laid upon Christ, and this produces in us this third benefit: joy in the Holy Spirit. Walk us through that. It's kind of weird to say this because I think particularly. Presbyterians, we often are not described as joyful or use the Holy Spirit. However, we you know we need to be reminded of this reality is that Christianity is a religion of joy, uh, and real joy itself comes from God. And joy isn't the absence of sadness; it's actually the presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And we see that throughout. We see that uh, throughout the Scriptures uh, with the with the symbolism of wine and the Holy Spirit there in Acts 2 and other places that what comes with the Holy Spirit is this unending joy uh, that is produced because what God has done for us. And that, and again, it, it's one thing to have Christ next to us, but it's a whole other thing to have Christ in us. And, and what happens is that in the light of this world that we live in that's fallen, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We can have joy because we do have the Holy Spirit, and that's a, a grand benefit of our salvation. And only Christians really have the advantage of being joyful in circumstances that would otherwise work against your happiness. So I think of Job. We just had a funeral. We, we talked about it on the podcast not long ago, but um, you know the dear woman whose husband passed away, I was just struck by her fortitude. I was struck by this faith that she had. And and the text I came to was Job 1, 20 through 22, when Job gets word from the four messengers that he's lost everything. He's lost his, um, you know, his camels, his donkeys, uh, his sheep, and his seven sons and three daughters. And yet, sure, he doesn't pretend like, oh, that's fine. I'm good. You know, too, too blessed to be stressed, right? Um, he tears his robe, shaves his head, drops to his knees, and he worships. So he was able to have even a joy, as it were, in the midst of tremendous sorrow because he praised the Lord and said, the Lord give, uh, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So only the Christian can have true joy in the midst of 
tumultuous circumstances. So this peace that surpasses all understanding, the world scratching his head, doesn't understand how can you be happy right now, but we can be happy because we have all of our debt settled with God and there's no business, you know, left to be done. It's all been done upon the cross and in Christ. And again, you can see how the, the bookends of the short catechism, at least questions one to 36, 37, 38, is that, you know, the man of sorrows, you know, he went to the cross, uh, he suffered pain and sorrow and death so that we could have joy. So what's true in question one, what is the man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, can be true, could be a reality. Uh, and when we think of that forever, yeah. enjoy him forever, sometimes I think we think just of eternity. Yeah, we're, we're waiting for that, for that time where things are just kind of, will be fixed and okay. And Yeah, we'll enjoy Jesus when we die. But no, enjoy him forever. And forever starts today. Uh, John 10, again, John 10, that whole idea that uh, that you can have life and have it abundantly, this eternal life. And so, again, this eternal life is not something future, it's here and now. Mm-hmm. So, we've got peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's talk about perseverance therein to the end. So, perseverance is this reform doctrine um, that says that Everyone who is justified, adopted, sanctified will eventually be glorified, the fourth leg of this stool. You know, I thought about this. What if we did have three legs? So justification, uh-huh. It's more like a three leg three three leg stool. Mm-hmm. So justification, sanctification, glorification, but the seat that you rest in is adoption. This, I mean, we can talk to Ikea, like we can get this in the works and see if they can build us something like this. But, you know, when did we interior design? Um, well, are you, we qualified for this? No, but I'm just trying to give us a picture of the gospel. I'm not trying to make any money off this, Stephen. Okay. Well, so. I mean, you could monetize that. It's a good idea. Maybe. But yeah, so we've, we've got glorification. And um, it's really interesting because there are some faith traditions, and I'm talking like, you know, post-Reformation, you know, evangelicals who do not believe that everyone who is elected or everyone who is justified, adopted, sanctified actually makes it to the finish line. Well, even people in our traditions often wonder that reality. I mean, how many people do you get, I don't want to say per week or per month, but at least per year that says, can I lose my salvation? Mm-hmm. Even, you know, I mean, in the scriptures, where yeah. do you where do you typically take people who well, wrestle with assurance or who who don't believe that they'll make it? Well, where do you fir- take them? Yeah, I mean, the first first place is Philippians one six. Paul, darn it, says, "I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ." You stole my answer. Well, it's when you got a good a good Bible to work with, it's. It's easy to have the same answer. Well, it's the same. Yeah, we, we can share the Bible. Yeah, that, that's where we got to go, because we have to remember that salvation was not begun by us, and so it can't be ended by us. So if all of salvation is from God, and God doesn't leave you hanging ever, you know, he who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it till the coming of our Lord Jesus, then, then why do we worry? I, you know, sort of an analogy, like I... I do the dishes at our house. I know you cook. You're a mean cook. Like you're a nice guy, but like yeah. really good at cooking. Yeah. I don't cook, but I do the dishes. And 
when Sarah and I first got married, the thing that I hated with like a seething passion was washing silverware. It was the worst thing in the world. Like I would take care of the whole sink, but I'd leave like one or two forks there. Don't nod your head at me. It's traumatizing. Um, (laughs) But God's not like that. God finishes the whole sink. You know, there's no leftover forks over here or spoons or, you know, he doesn't leave things to soak overnight. Um, He completes it. He completes it. And I think a lot of Christians, especially those of us who have a hard time finishing things like books or a sink full of dishes, have a hard time believing that God's really going to come through. But remember who God is. Or we we flip salvation a little bit that that God saved us, but we're the ones that have to finish it out. Um, and again, I think here in this catechism question, and we'll kind of wrap up with this, is that that salvation begins and ends with God Himself. You know, it's not like okay, I I saved you, I got you in the door, now you little, roll the ball the rest of the way. Yeah, yeah. Where no, it's, God has He is. The, the the author and perfecter of our faith. He's mm-hmm. working us all the way through. Who was it that said, if you could lose your salvation, you would have already? Yeah. I don't know who said that. But that's a good one. Yeah. We'll say that you said it. I didn't say it. But we can say that I said it, and then I'll say I didn't say it. Good. You're an so. honest man. All right. Well, this is the benefits that believers enjoy in this life. Stay tuned, because... Uh, next time, we're going to talk about uh, the benefits that you get at death, and then, because there's uh, more benefits forthcoming, uh, the benefits that you get at the resurrection. So, these are going to be good episodes, and we hope, as Tommy said, that this is intensely practical, because um, the whole reason that Tommy and I are going through this shorter catechism is because it's had real effects, not just on our public ministries, but personally for us. And that's why we ask these questions to our interviewees, How has the catechism benefited you personally? Because we want you all to see the practical benefits of taking all this in, chewing on it, and meditating upon these truths. Good job, Stephen. Stop. Um, All right. Well, we're going to wrap up now. Looking forward to talking to you all next time. Keep it short. What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from? Justification, adoption, and sanctification. The benefits which in this life do accompany a flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification. Our assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost. Of grace and perseverance, therein to.